Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the Word. Father, thank you that we could be here. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross, and the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive, and you never fail us. Thank you that you take the brokenhearted and our brokenness, and you make us whole again. Thank you that there's no one like you, that you are God above all else, that you transform our lives, that you forgive sin, and you make us right with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I pray that you would speak to us, that, Lord, as we turn to your word, you'd open the eyes of our understanding, that we'd hear the very voice of God through the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you are able, for the public reading of the Scripture. What we do here, everybody's welcome. We love that you're here. We know many people are new to church. And one of the things we do is we read the Scripture, then we explain the Scripture, then we apply the Scripture. Sanctuary Church is old school. We're, we're progressive and contemporary. But we're old school when it comes to, we believe that we hear the voice of God through the Word of God, so we place an incredibly high value on the Scripture. So, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, the scriptures are on there. You can look at your smartphone or Bible. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he had rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sexual conduct of the people, the wicked, for as that righteous man, that's Lot, lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And then the Lord knows how to rescue godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, okay? You may be seated. So let me say this, that all the messages are online for free forever. What happened here, I want to review to get everybody up to speed. I want to review. So what happened is there's a guy in jail, Peter, one of the disciples, and Peter had written a letter to the church, and Peter now has another letter inside of him. So Peter's going to write to the church because he wants to encourage them to be genuine in their faith, to be real, to be authentic, and to be growing. How many people want to be growing in your faith? Well, that's what he wanted them to be. So he's talking to them about, here's what the Christian life is all about. So chapter 1, he says, hey, you need, know, first of all, to have faith that is centered in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He said, you need to know this. It is not based on you and what you can do based on God and his power, the power of God's Holy Spirit, divine power. It says, you have been given these amazingly awesome promises that you can bank on and build your life on. The Bible says exceedingly great and precious promises. And then he says it, that uh, you're not on your own. God sends a paraclete, the, ho- the, the helper. In other words, you're like partakers of God's even nature. There is divine nature. So we don't live the life on our own power. Then it says in verse 3, His divine power was given to us all, all things that pertain to living this life, a godly life, through the knowledge of Him that called us. So what he's saying is this. He's saying that, look, God's given you power. The power's not going to run out. 
Like it's unlimited. Like you have access to God's power. It will never be depleted. It is continually available to us. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. God just freely gives it to you. Christ now has done everything he can possibly do to help you. So then what are you to do? It says, continuing, knowing that that's what God has done. Now what do you do? He says, make every effort or give all diligence to add to your faith. So in light of what God has done, now what are you to do? So you're to do this. Why? It says, make every effort. Like, give some energy, baby. How many people know that it's not some lackadaisical punch out, all God and none of me? No. It is in, you got to give some effort there. You got to be intentional, make every effort. It actually speaks there of having a little, having some intensity, having some focus, having some pursuit, some motivation, some determination. Make every effort on your part in this Christian life. In other words, give it some investment, give it some uh, participation, get involved there. See, look at what God has done. Now your part to know God, your part there to walk with God, to draw near to God, make every effort to what? Like, what do you do? Add to your faith. Well, how many people know sometimes you need to be a little more diligent in cultivating your faith? What he's saying is this. This is serious business, friends. The idea is you got to put some effort into it. It makes sense in every other arena of life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your work, every year of life. What about this relationship too, friends? Come on, somebody. And so he's saying here, look, God's done his part. Now you do your part. Redouble your efforts. Make a strong effort. Because look, he says you've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You have a heavenly calling, a holy calling. You've been called to to know God, that is, we would call that salvation there, called by the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that, then he says, for this very reason, for that reason then, add to your faith. In other words, sometimes you plateau out, you get stagnant, you're just going through the motions. Add then to your faith, and what do you need to do? Then he gave us about eight different ways that you can add to your faith. One of the ways was like virtue, which means just courage. How many people need some courage, moral courage, just to live the light in light of the culture in which we live? Then he said, add to your faith knowledge, that is the knowledge, knowing God. Others, he said, you need to add to your faith some patience, some perseverance, some endurance, some sticking to it there, not quitting, not giving up. Others, he says, you need to add to your faith, some of us, self-control. Come on, somebody. You need to add self-control. Others of us, you're living a life, and you need to be more godly. Jesus has called you to be right with him, and maybe that's growing in godliness. Others, there's a friendship, love. You go to church sometimes. You go to some churches, and people are stinking mean. Like, what's that all about? So it says some people you just need to grow in brotherly love. It's a friendship, love. And then others need to grow in God's love. That's agape love. So Peter reminds us then of this is that God's power and God's promises are to help you so you can have a growing faith. That was chapter 1. Thank you. You're welcome. Chapter 2, Peter realizes the Holy Spirit inspires him, and the Holy Spirit makes it real. Hey, they've got a problem in church world. Uh, We need to talk about the problem. 
And here's the problem is that there's people in the church or outside the church too, and they're bad guys, bad girls, bad people, bad motives. I want to talk about them, bad teachers. So he says, chapter 2, verse 1, but there's also false prophets in Israel, just as there'll be false teachers among you. Who's you but use the church? So he's saying that, look, they are present within the church today. I'm going to talk about that and in the culture. So look at how they operate. They're clever. They're slick. They're persuasive. They fake you out. They're trying to get in your pocket. They exploit you. They take advantage of you. They manipulate you. They're leveraging to do anything to get something from you. They're destructive. It says they teach destructive heresy, which means it's just not the Bible teaching. So the antidote to this is what? The antidote to false teaching is what? What would it be? Tell me what it would be. Come on, there's an antidote. Knowing the Scripture, right? Yeah, knowing the Scripture. So let me ask you this. If you know the Scripture, you know the Bible, you know the truth, will you know error? Will you know error or not? You know Scripture, you know the truth, well, then you know error. Yeah, yeah, you will. We need more coffee this morning or something here, okay? Uh, so let me give you this illustration. So some of you may know, like, I, when I went to school, part of my schooling was I learned about teeth. I actually learned about teeth. And so you didn't know this about me, but I spent two years, I spent two years of my life studying teeth, like every day. And so uh, I know it sounds incredibly boring, and it was boring, but I did. And also how the teeth come together, what they call occlusion. So I learned about central pits, mesial pits, distal pits, mesial marginal ridge, distal ridges, height of contour. I learned all the different parts of the morphology, the anatomy of the teeth, and I spent two years doing that. And I thought to myself when I was in school, why are we spending so much stinking time learning the shape of the teeth and how they work? And then when I got out of that experience and I came into a clinical experience, I realized I was like, oh. Dang, that's the wrong shape of the tooth, and that's wrong, and that's wrong. And immediately I knew everything that was wrong as soon as I would look at it. I even noticed when people were walking by, they go, man, who did that? But I'm not going to go there. But it's a reality that I don't bring up. Like, man, who did that? Oh, God. So anyway, the point is this, though. The point is, is that when you study what is right, and you study what is truth, and you study what the way that it's supposed to be, immediately you can know what's wrong and what's not true. So the, the antidote for false teaching is simply to know the truth, okay? Know the truth. So you want to commit yourself, friends, to knowing the truth because there is destructive teaching that is out there. So continuing here, Peter's not done. He's not done with these false teachers. Like, this is round two. I'm not finished with them. So Peter then is going to label them. He's going to expose them. And to the people that are saying, hey, what is their just end? Are they going to get their just end? Are they going to be judged for everything that they can do? And Peter's like, yes, they are going to get judged. And then some people would say, well, how, how do we know? So Peter then is going to answer how you know that they will be judged by three case studies that he's going to give us that ultimately apply to the false teachers that were there and out there. Like false teachers that just say, hey, you could do whatever you want, whenever you want. There's no consequences in life. Is that, is that really the truth? Those who would say, hey, like, 
pick your, I'm just going to say it, pick your gender for the day. Like, really, like, I thought male and female he created, but just pick whatever you want to be, whenever you want to be. Really, like, that's a bit confusing. Like, just let's just reimagine relationships, reimagine marriage, reimagine family. Like, really, like, friends, we're down to, like, I'm just going to say it. There's one book, like, that just tells us the truth. This is the only thing that's left that tells you the truth anymore about life. Like this right here. So that's what Peter's doing. It's like saying, look, you got to get back to, to, to what God has said the one that created you, the one that made you, let's get back to what he said is true. So Peter's saying, look, in the midst of all the false teaching and all that, I'm going to give you three case studies so you're going to know that God actually is going to do what he said he's going to do. And God is a God that will judge them, those false teachers. God will judge sin. Kind of going old school on you this morning a little bit. But we need to remember this that God is not going to ignore sin. We hear a lot about God is a God of love, and he is, and a God of mercy, and a God of grace, and he is all those things. But central to who he is, he's a God of holiness and a God of righteousness. And so one thing that we, he wants us to know about him is that he's a holy God, and he's a righteous God. And the reason God hates sin is because of what sin does to you. That sin is self-destructive. Sin ruins you. And so think about this. In the book of Revelation, there are the angels worshiping God. And this is what they say in Revelation chapter 4, verse 12. They're singing, or verse 8, they're singing, not loving, 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 or graceful, 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 but they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, all, all, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come. So that's who he is. He's a holy God, a righteous God who hates the sin that wrecks our life. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to begin with angels in verse 4. Case study number one is about the angels. It says, for since if God did not spare angels when they sin, let's talk about that, when they sin, the angels sin. So think about this. He's saying that, look, if God judges angels that were celestial beings that were worshiping God, you don't think he's going to judge false teachers? Okay, when he judged them then, you don't think God's going to judge now? You don't think that God set a precedent, precedent then for now? And so what he's saying is this, like, that we need to recognize that they declared war on God. Some of us have done that. So they were alien spiritual beings here, spirit beings that were fallen angelic beings. You can read about this in Revelation where uh, Lucifer, which means son of the morning, wanted to be like the most high God. God's like, I don't think so. You're like out of here. And so when he took some of his, some of his homies out of heaven with him, a third of them with him, Think, man, this is like this. This is getting depressing. This is depressing, Pastor Rod. You got any good news? A third of the angels went and became demons. Well, two thirds of the angels are for you. Okay, so there's the good news. Two thirds are for you, but so they reside in a different realm, though. That's altogether different. It's altogether like we're mortal beings, and they're these, they're strange, and they're out there, and they're spiritual beings, and they're 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 for darkness. The Bible puts it this way: We battle not against flesh and blood, but what do we battle against? principalities, okay, 
uh, spiritual wickedness in high places, and so an unseen realm there. So he's talking about that. This has happened, and here's what we know. Their sin, what they did, it was profound. It was, it was pervasive. And so God says, I am going to judge them. They're going to be cast into hell, the fallen angels there. And so we know that this is what happened to them, and they're held in captivity, and there will be a day of judgment. And so, but here's what I want to say to you. Uh, if you're new to church, you're new to, uh, to being here, love that you're here, and this is what we get that they didn't get. Like we get Jesus, like they didn't get Jesus. But see, when we sin, we have an option, we have an option that God sent his son, his son to die for us. He was judged that we would never be judged. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So we have hope. God did the unthinkable, the unimaginable, and he sent Jesus to the cross. He's given us grace. And while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the good news. That's the gospel that God has given us, Jesus. And so what he's saying is, look, if you've done the same thing as those angels— and you've declared war on God, there is good news, good news because you can be forgiven. You have the opportunity to be right with God through Christ. It's awesome, friends. Sin has been judged in Jesus that you don't need to be judged. But the angels that, that, that sinned against him, they got it. There it is. Case study number two is Noah. It says, and if God, he, God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah as a herald of righteousness. Okay, so here's what happened. Noah then is on a mission. God is looking down there at his creation, and it says this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. He's looking down. God looked at the inclination of men's hearts, and it says this, that it was only evil continually. Therefore, God was grieved in his heart. So God's looking down at his creation, and it is nasty. It is self-destructive. It is grotesque on steroids, desires. And when God see, saw the people that he had made self-destructing, God said, I got to do something about this. I am grieved. So he taps Noah on the shoulder and says, Noah, you're going to build me a boat. God is patient concerning the work of his hands. So God took 120 years for Noah to build the boat. And there it says he's a herald or a spokesman, he's speaking to the culture 120 years. So like that, in that vein, friends, we also are on a mission, speaking to the culture individually, corporately, that time is actually running out. Time's running out, friends. So that's what he was doing. And so he had a mission, we have a mission, but also we have a mission that extends mercy. He was extending mercy there, though the people were like this. They're like, yeah, Noah, like, you're full of nonsense. Yeah, and you're God's, you're going to judge the world. It's going to rain like it's never even rained. You're like crazy, Noah, and there's not one person that answers the altar call, not one person. Okay, but for 120 years, he's heralding the truth. So, but, so it's on a mission. We're also uh, a mission that extends mercy. So I just want to take a moment to say, well, what does that look like? Here's part of what it looks like. You saw the Mexico. Uh, today at 3 o'clock, I was there last week, and so every week we are in San Bernardino. We are in, we're in the hood there. 
and we're reaching out to the people and we're loving the people. 80% of them are homeless. They've got, they, they get their food there. We give them food for like almost the week. We clothe them. We talk to them. We sit down. We hear their stories. We love them. We don't just check the box and go back to our life, but we engage with them. So I was there last week. I spoke. So I was hanging out with, with some of the people that were there, and I met a couple, couple guys. And uh, one guy that I met, I said to him, um, I said, so, hey, tell me your story. He said, I started doing meth when I was 12. He goes, I still slip. And I, I looked at him, and I thought, yeah, I could, really, I could see that you've been slipping. And then, uh, and then he told me, when I was 13, I started, I started uh, injecting when I was 13. And so I spent nine years in jail. Uh, I just spent four years in jail, and I just got out. I said, is this your church? Go, yeah, this is my church. He says, you come like every week. I've seen you, but I come every week. He says, this is my church. This is where I, 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 receive, I receive spiritual life here. And then I talked to another guy, and I asked him, I said, so tell me your story. He said, I walk 30 minutes uh, every Sunday. He says, you're here every Sunday. I'm here every Sunday. He says, I work, or said, I walk 30 minutes. I asked the other guy, he says, where do you live? He goes, I live, I live down there, you know, behind that, that one building. He's homeless guy. So this other guy, I asked him, I said, well, how do you like it? He goes, I like it. He said, but I grade pastors. I said, are you going to grade me today? Like, are you going to, like, he goes, I grade the pastors. I said, okay. I said, are you grading Pastor Jim? He said, yes. I said, is he getting an A? He said, ask me later. He said, I'm not, I haven't decided yet. I said, well, what is Pastor Jim, what grade is he getting? He said, he's getting a B plus. I said, all right, well, we'll take the B plus. But the point is, is I was just engaging and having conversation with them and that we have a mission that extends mercy is all that I'm saying, friends, is that we're just not a church that is here, that if we weren't here, no one would care. It wouldn't make any difference. No, we want to make a difference in the community. So that's what we do and that's what we are. So I just wanted to relate that and fit that in here. And so, But what's happening here with Noah is everybody's self-destructing, it's gross. It's out of control. So God went to Noah and he said, look, a flood of judgment is coming and I need you to build a boat in the desert like we're in the desert. So he starts building the boat, preaching for 120 years. People are laughing. People are ridiculing just like they are now. It says like, like in the times of Noah, that's how it's going to be in the end. So no one's saying yes to God. No one's getting right with God. Seem discouraging. No one answers the altar call. Everybody's just eating and drinking and going crazy and surfing the internet or whatever they're doing. And then all of a sudden, little liquid drops begin to fall from the sky. It's never happened before. And it began to rain, and it was too late. And the hand of God closes the ark there, and Noah and his family are saved, and the rest perished. But you need to know this, friends, that there is an ark. There was an ark of safety waiting to embrace the people. Even like today, there is an ark of safety for us. The ark of safety is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He is the door that we are intended to run to and to be saved from the wrath of God. That he took the penalty, he took the hit for our punish, the punishment that should have been ours, and now it is freely offered to us as Noah was sharing with the people then, we share with the people now. So, But he's a holy God again, telling the teachers that God is a God who judges sin. Case study number three is this, of Sodom and Gomorrah. So 
this is like this is like a story that we need to unpack. I don't think many of us, maybe uh, I'll just re- remind you of the story. It's there in Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19. And there is Lot, and Lot decides he's going to move his family to Sodom and Gomorrah. Guys, guys and gals, we need to think about like where we live. Like Think about that for just a moment. Lot, so your kids are going to go to Sodom High School, right? In Gomorrah Junior High. I just want to make sure I got this straight. They will be at Sodom High School and Gomorrah Junior High. Is that, that, that right? Yeah, that's what you're going to send. Okay. Uh, maybe you want to rethink that a little bit. You're going to bring their Bible to Sodom High School. I wonder how that's going to go for him. But anyway, so he moves to Sodom. And now what happened was, is that God sent incognito, undercover, a couple angels that looked like men. So they hit the town, Sodom and Gomorrah, which are in close proximity to one another. They're completely uh, organized for perversion, and it was just pervasive in the culture. So here's these two guys uh, disguised as, they're angels, but they're disguised as men, looking at what's going on. They meet up with Lot. Lot invites them to their house. Like, no, you can't like just be out in the, in the town square. You got to come to my house. And it says then that there were other younger and older men that saw that there was fresh meat in Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, there's fresh meat. And so they all the, the younger and the old men are surrounding the house now, starting to hit, slam on the door because they want to take advantage and have relations with these two men. So what Lot does is Lot opens the door while they're inside with the family and is talking with them, trying to negotiate with them, where they're like in his face trying to get inside because they want to, they want to have relations with those two men. The angels pull them back pull Lot back inside, the door slams, all there, they're blind now. So now they're blind. This shows you what, that number one, sexual sin can never be satisfied. Number two, how crazy can you get when you fall into it? So picture this in your mind. Now they're all blind. And they're like trying to find the doorknob when they're still blind to get inside. That's how pervasive, how like, out there, out of control, they are to have these two men. So that's the scene there. Hold that picture in your mind. So there's Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot now is there in the midst of this. It says in verse 6, that if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction. So when I get it, people say, hey, live however you want to live and love everybody. Yes, and we are called to love everybody, from the bottom of my heart, we were called to do that, but I'm, all, but I'm not called to agree with it. Not, if we were in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm not like agreeing with that because you'll love the people, but I'm not, not agreeing with that. I'm not endorsing that scene that I just talked about, that lifestyle. God says, you know what? That's out of bounds, and I'm going to I'm gonna deal with that. So, uh, and then it says, of, it says of Lot that God said, okay, time to get out. The angels say, time to get out. It says that Lot was lingering. And I think that's a warning to us that sometimes we can linger, and Lot's wife is lingering, walking behind when they're called to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, looking back. So it's not enough just to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you got to get that, you know what I mean, out of you. So she's lingering, and you know what happened to her? She becomes a pillar of salt there. So when Lot was lingering, 
And so he's looking back when there was an urgency that was needed to get out. And sometimes I think, friends, there's an urgency in this life to get out of what we're involved with in terms of sin. So don't look back, don't linger is the message. Then it says here, and if he, that is God, rescued righteous Lot, even though he's distressed by what's going on here. So literally it means this. There's a tidal wave of just, uh, just, um, ugly, cultural, crazy, filthy, wicked conduct. And, and this is what's happening to Lot. Like he gets his coffee in the morning and gets on his bike or whatever, and then he's just overwhelmed with what was happening there. And it literally means when it says here that it was tormenting his righteous soul, it literally means that it wore him down. Anybody getting worn down by what happens, you know, in, in, in culture? It just is wearing him down, and he's trying to endure it, but he's just getting exhausted by the outrageous behavior that was happening in his culture. The Bible says that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the, time, the end times when Christ returns. And so here it is. We're using the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it could be New York or Vegas or San Bernardino, but economically, everything was designed for self-indulgence, immorality, perversion, and God then, it says, like he's going to, he judged them, he'll judge the false teachers. So, uh, so I just wanted to point that out to you as we transition here, that the Bible says this, for we were once like that, like really we were like, yes, Ephesians 5.8, for we were once not just in darkness, but we were once darkness, but now you're children of light. It's awesome. So here's people that were meant to flee out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was the, the, the word to them. And ultimately, says this here, says this, uh, he's saying that, look, this is what false teachers are going to do. They are going to be judged. They're going to take the truth, and they're going to twist the truth. They'll take the Bible, and they will twist it. Uh, and they will say things that Scripture is not saying, and actually that Scripture forbids. And false teachers will try to water it down and make it to say something that it was never intended to say. They will try to tell you that God is changing his mind. God is changing his mind. God is changing his mind on gender, changing his mind on sexuality and marriage. God, God is not changing his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's not changing his mind. So, but what does this have to do with us today? What is, what is this whole Sodom and Gomorrah? What does that have to do with us today? Here's what it has to do. So there's a behind-the-scenes agenda with Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a behind-the-scenes spirit there among the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that really is not changed. Like that is, that is existent today, the same kind of agendas and spirits uh, uh, in the culture. And so God had to deal with that in, of Sodom and Gomorrah, had to deal with the whole culture. And the scripture is saying that God will deal with that. Watch verse 9. It says this, Then the Lord knows how to rescue or deliver the godly from these tribulations or trials. 
So friends, though judgment is coming, recognize this. The Lord knows how. It may be hard. It may be difficult. But the Lord knows how. He's shown in history that he knows how. He knows how to deliver Lot, how to deliver Noah, how to deliver you, and how to deliver me. And notice that it says this. It says, from trials. He knows how to deliver us from trials. Literally, a trial means this, an attack with intent to destroy. That in these times we live, there will be attacks upon you with the intent to destroy. And the Lord knows how to deliver you from that attack that is intended to destroy you. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, God's pattern here that we just talked about is that He is a God who will rescue us. He is a God whose pattern shown in history is the pattern is to rescue. Friends, God's plan, we just read about it right here in verse 9, is to rescue us Though God is a God of judgment and God will judge America, God will judge the sin of our nation, but God will also rescue you. It's beautiful, friends. This is the good news. And we're not appointed to wrath, but we're appointed to salvation through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This, beloved, is the good news. And this is the word of the Lord. And so I recognize this. I recognize that this is one of those passages that in most church services, like people want to hit the fast forward button or take all their speed reading techniques and apply them and avoid it. But friends, this is the whole counsel of God. This is the word of God. And we want to, we want to, we want to read and focus not on just the happy-go-lucky parts, but also the hard parts. This maybe is a little bit hard truth. But I believe this, that if, if, you, if you hear nothing but soft, soft, soft truth, if you want to call it that, you'll end up with a hard heart. It's just all soft, all the time. Your heart can get hard. But if you hear like some hard truth over time, that helps soften your heart. So it's just the truth uh, of the Scripture, and we don't hop, skip, and jump over it, but we're just unpacking it all. So that's the word that we have for this morning. Thank you for listening. Um, we're going to, um, yeah. Um, someday, friends, someday, I'm very mindful of this. Someday I will stand before God. And I will give account, I will give account for what I've spoken. I will give account for what I've told you. And in that day, and that day is coming, I want to be able to say, I told them the truth, Lord. Everything you revealed to me, I told them the truth. So that's what happened this morning. We're going to put our eyes in the affections of our heart upon the author and the finisher of our faith. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you are moving in our midst. Uh, we can say that we worship you that you are here in this place and we are here to worship you and that you alone are the way maker, the miracle worker, that you are a light in the darkness and that is who you are. 
And I want to encourage us, wherever you're at in your faith journey, to make the declaration that that is who he is. That God is here to touch our hearts. We're here to worship him, to heal every heart that is here, but to turn our lives around and we're here to worship him. But that is who you are. And so let this be more than just a, a song that we sing, but a declaration with our life. That is who you are.